0: You're listening to the CyberWire network, powered by N2K.
1: Wanna cry is still here. Just ask Honda and the Australian state of Victoria. North America and Europe work to secure their grids against crash override. The U.S. Congress hears testimony about Russian election influence ops. Business email compromise scams hook sophisticated victims. The Queen's speech says that whatever else Brexit may mean, it won't mean a GDPR exit. And what's all this about CISOs and root canals? We didn't know that was an alternative to bearing bad news to the board. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, June 22, 2017 cry is today's news as well as yesterday's. An infestation of control systems on Monday forced Honda to shut down a production facility in Japan. Traffic cameras in the Australian state of Victoria were also infected. This infestation was traced to a third-party contractor's mistake. The industrial Internet of Things may be inherently more susceptible to disruption by this strain of ransomware than our conventional IT enterprises. While many enterprises proofed their IT systems against WannaCry by closing a port and updating their software, things are not so simple in the industrial IoT. Many quite respectable industry-standard industrial control systems are built on older versions of Windows, and patching them is not as simple as patching Windows out of the box. The operating systems are, say, Windows XP, as modified by SCADA vendor so-and-so, and they also touch and interact with a wide variety of process control systems. A Kaspersky study reports that industrial control systems are being infected at disturbingly high rates. Kaspersky also says that IoT devices manufactured in Taiwan and Vietnam are often accompanied by malware. The two countries' position as leading producers of low-cost IoT devices, particularly cameras and DVRs, makes their manufacturers attractive targets of compromise. Crash override and its threat to the power grid is receiving attention at the highest levels of the U.S. government. President Trump has been meeting with senior advisors, both official and unofficial, to develop a defensive response to the threat. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission is meeting today with representatives of the European Union, Canada, and Mexico on risks to the electrical grid. The U.S. Department of Energy intends to release a study of grid hacking next week. Europe's power industry is also at work on grid defense. In the case of the EU, the most recent developments involve an agreement this week between the European Network for Cybersecurity, ENSYS, and the European Network of Transmission System Operators for Electricity. ENSO-E. The two bodies undertake to develop regulations, standards, practices, and protective measures against cyber attack. ENSYS will provide the cyber expertise. ENSO-E will contribute the operational knowledge and experience. We are quickly approaching the mid-year point for 2017, and one of the issues most experts agreed would be a big one this year is ransomware. And be a big one it has, thanks to high-profile attacks like WannaCry. Asaf Sedone is Vice President of Content Security Services at Barracuda Networks, and he shares his outlook on ransomware.
0: In a sense, we are gaining a lot of ground. You know, it's becoming more and more standard in a variety of security solutions, you know, obviously email security, but also other email security solutions like uh, web filters, um, firewalls that, you know, uh, various technologies to block ransomware like Ah, uh, sandboxing are really becoming a standard, and more and more customers and businesses and even consumers are aware of the problem and and are taking steps to prevent it. But of course, the attackers are also increasing uh, the attack and the reach of the attack. So, for example, uh, WannaCry was really interesting. The, so the actual uh, ransomware itself was not that exotic. Um, it exploited, you know, vulnerability in the Windows SMB protocol, especially in older versions of um, the Windows operating system. Uh, but what was actually more interesting about it was the fact that it was a worm where. Once it did infect the network, it would go within the private network of the organization and try to find other computers that it can attack. So, generally speaking, um, you know the attacks are becoming much more rampant. Um, it's become a very provable and repeatable uh, economic model for the attackers. That it's also becoming worse in the sense. So I'd say the threat has gone up, but also the the defenses have gone up lockstep with it.
1: And as the ransomware threat continues to evolve and, and change along the way, are we seeing uh the evolution of recommended defenses against it?
0: Yeah, so um early on, you know, I think the the most common way to defend from ransomware was, you know, endpoint. So, you know, your classic antivirus was and you know, trying to employ more, um, more sophisticated antiviruses that actually look at the behavior of the files, not just at the signatures of the files. Um, and after that, you know, people started going after the actual attack vectors, or in other words, how did this malicious file even get to the endpoint in the first place? And so that's why... Email protection against ransomware became more and more popular, and finally, we've seen you know an extra layer, which is let's assume that one of these ransomwares could get through. Not every every security system is completely perfect, and people end up clicking on, on on various files, and then that's why kind of folks are really focused on the backup side of it uh, to make sure that if you do get, you know, uh, if your files do get hijacked, then you can easily restore. So so I think we've just seen this evolution of a multi-layer approach where there's technologies now inserted at different layers of the stack to, to really make sure that, you know, to mitigate the problem. So generally speaking, I'd say for companies... That have really gone with this kind of multi-layer approach um, are are pretty immune to ransomware at this point in time. Most of the, most of the hacks we see now around ransomware in the news are in cases where you know they didn't have all the layers, or where they you know a certain part of the company or organization wasn't fully protected. Or um, so, so that's that's kind of so so there are ways to, today if, to effectively deal with this problem.
1: That's Asaf Sedone from Barracuda Networks. The Queen's speech is out in the UK. This annual document outlining Her Majesty's government's policies is unusual this year for its commitment to data security. Specifically, it removes any doubt, or at least most doubts, that the United Kingdom's exit from the European Union will also entail an exit from the EU's General Data Protection Regulation and its attendant privacy safeguards. Whatever else Brexit means, it apparently won't mean saying farewell to GDPR. U.S. Congressional hearings on Russian election meddling conclude that many states were prospected, 21 to be exact, but also that vote counts were not manipulated. The meddler, as represented in testimony, is by consensus Russia, and its activity, while not unprecedented in motivation or intent, was unprecedented in its use of the Internet. Senator Rubio pointed out in the course of the hearings that voter fraud was unnecessary, at least from the Russian point of view. If the Russian objective was to undermine trust in the American electoral system, mission accomplished. In addition to undermining confidence in election processes, Russian services seemed interested in gathering personally identifying information that they made some use of in spearfishing attempts. That use of compromised data suggests the potential seriousness of Republican National Committee contractor Deep Root Analytics inadvertent exposure of voter information on an unsecured Amazon S3 account. Kaspersky Labs has brought an antitrust complaint against Microsoft before the European Commission. The basis of the complaint is Kaspersky's allegation that Microsoft is using its dominant market position to unfair advantage by disabling in Windows 10 security software other than Windows Defender. This week, Microsoft said that, well, yes, Windows 10 does block some security products, but that's due entirely to compatibility issues, not to any attempt to favor Windows Defender. Most of the industry press views this as a left-handed confirmation of one of Kaspersky's allegations. Business email scams continue to bite, A New York state judge lost more than a million dollars when an email spoofing her attorney instructed her to transfer just over a million dollars to a certain bank account. She did so, and the controllers of that bank account promptly shifted the money to a different account in a Chinese bank, where of course it's gone, baby gone. It would be easy to regard this as astonishing carelessness, but not so fast. The scam was carefully crafted and its victim not notably clueless, The criminals knew she was negotiating the purchase of an apartment and baited the hook accordingly. So all who've never fallen for a con feel free to cast the first stone. But we won't. Finally, a survey Last Line conducted at the 2017 InfoSecurity Europe conference found that half of all information security professionals would prefer a root canal to reporting a data breach to their board of directors. Last Line looked for a silver lining. Quote, On a more positive note, it does show that cybersecurity has risen up the board's agenda. To this, we say to security professionals, come on, it's not that bad. We saw CISO communication with the board modeled Tuesday at Cynet's Innovation Summit, and it didn't look bad at all. Of course, a little Novocaine couldn't hurt, or laughing gas. ...so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps... Joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Joe, welcome back. Hey, um, thanks, Dave. <laughs> you and I were chatting about uh, RF radio spectrum and this notion that, uh, you know, in the old days, you sort of have this image in your mind of uh, ham radio operators sitting right. in their basement with a big stack of equipment and yep. a big antenna farm and uh, headsets and a microphone in front of them. But, uh... RF monitoring is a lot more accessible than it used to be.
2: That's right. In fact, uh, Hackaday on June 5th had an article talking about using a device called uh, HackRF1 to listen in on old cordless phone conversations. Mm. Uh, So these cordless phones operate in various spectrums, uh, 900 megahertz all the way up to, I think, 5.8 gigahertz. Yeah, I
1: remember the first generation, you could actually tune them in uh, if you had an AM radio that could uh, go to the high end of the AM radio scale, you could listen on, in on your neighbor's conversations, or so I'm told. Or so you're told. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, here's 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 the interesting part. A HackRF1, we actually have one of these devices at the Institute. Uh-huh. We use it for uh, analyzing uh, the, the traffic that, that goes on between different devices we're trying to investigate or trying to break. That device is, is now less than $300, and it has a, a very broad spectrum. I think it goes is up to 6 gigahertz. Hmm. You're remarkably effective. You connect it to a Linux box, which is free. You download some free software that can interpret the signals and bam, you're listening in on whatever is on the airwaves. Even cheaper than that, you can get on Amazon and order a USB software-defined radio. These are called software-defined radios um, for about 20 bucks that will listen to the broadcast spectrum for like TV and radio. And that's a device that's 20 bucks. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in there. Uh, For example, all the commercial airliners have these uh, navigation transponders on them, and you can download software that, that dumps those signals so you can see planes that are flying over your house, know which airliner it is, where it's going, and where it's coming from.
1: So I guess part of the notion, in terms of the security aspect of this, is that uh, there's no longer really a barrier to anyone who wants to listen into RF spectrum to do so.
2: Exactly, exactly. There's no barrier uh, to that in the United States. I don't even think there's a legislative barrier to it, um, because the the concept is that the uh, airwaves are owned by the public. So you can't assume that just because you're broadcasting over a spectrum that doesn't come out of some. Uh, off-the-shelf device. Well, now it does come out of uh, an off-the-shelf device because you can buy a a relatively inexpensive off-the-shelf device that can listen to any part of the spectrum.
1: Right. So if you're transmitting, assume that someone Someone out there may be listening or certainly has the capability of doing so. Correct. All right. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave.